Um, but today, my, my opening session is really, it's really, it's titled quite simply, My Kid Viewed Porn, Now What? Um, and, and, it's, and it's not so much of a uh, biblical inspirational piece, but I think it's important for us because pornography uh, invades the church and the home so prevalently in our world today that I think it's important that we have a good understanding of, of pornography. And my subtitle is Providing Leaders with Practical Tips to Assist Parents Who Have Children Who've Seen Porn. And, and why is this? Well, I, th- I think sometimes parents don't know how to address this with their kids. And they sometimes come to the church and they say, help. They're like, wait a minute, all I do is I read the curriculum and I teach, right? I do fun little illusions with kids on Sunday mornings. I change diapers. I, I don't know how to talk to kids about pornography, let alone how to help you. I can't even help you to re- help your kids read the Bible. So let alone talk about these very sensitive topics. But the the Lord reminded me of uh, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And I think sometimes we forget that in the church world that God designed the church to be the number one help for the home. You see, every time in Scripture that you find that there is a challenge, God sends a helper. For Aaron, it was, or for Moses, it was Aaron, right? For Elijah, it was Elisha. For Elijah, it was also the Holy Spirit. For Jesus, it was the Spirit. For Peter, it was, or for Paul, it was for Timothy. So there's always this helper. And for the home, one of the reasons God sends the church is to be the help to the home. So for us to understand how to help parents navigate this topic of my my child's viewed pornography, what am I going to do with it, is very, very crucial. And let's not, let's not kid around. If you have, if you're married and have children or some one day will, this is likely going to hit your home. So for you to be prepared as well is very important for you to be able to walk through this. So um, help my kid viewed porn, now what? A couple of things. First of all, there's a wrong question. The wrong question is, is simply this. Will my child see porn? That's the wrong question. The right question is, there's three right questions. When will my child see porn? Like at what age? At what birthday party, at what sleepover, at what moment in the house when they're unattended, at what email they get from the school that has spam in it, when will they see porn? Another right question is how will I respond when my child sees porn? And how will my child respond when they see porn? Those are the three questions that really help to center us for a healthy discussion about when our child sees porn. Now, let's look at a couple of realities today. Um, by the way, I will, I will send all of my notes. Actually, we already have them. I tra- when I transferred my slides, I transferred my notes. So if you want to access those and send them out, um, please don't take in and teach it and modify it and post it and publish it. But if you want to use them for additional study, you're welcome to. Uh, I do my best to footnote everything uh, that I have as stats so that you don't wonder if I'm just making it up and you know my source work on all this stuff. So, okay, today's realities. Only one in 20 young adults and one in 10 teenagers report that their friends think watching porn is bad. In fact, teens and young adults think it's more immoral to refrain from recycling than it is to view porn. Not only are kids watching it, They just don't think it's bad. Here's another reality. In our society, it's not understood how detrimental porn really is. It destroys the mind. It destroys the ability to function. You can't look at women in the same way Joe, who was a former porn addict, said. Pornography is often compared to crack cocaine. You've got to, I want you to wrestle with that for just a moment. When you think about the family in the home and you think about, would you let a known drug dealer spend the night in your child's room un, uh, unsupervised? We'd say, You're absolutely crazy, but we let high-speed internet access in our children's room unfiltered, and the addiction of porn is actually worse than the addiction to crack cocaine. 
Nobody knows this better than the sex addiction therapist, Chris Simon. He said, that's why I have a treatment center to help people who have a similar experience. He founded Denver's Restoration Therapy Center in 24. And he said this, most parents don't realize the biggest users of pornography are kids between the ages of 12 and 17 with their first exposure being eight years old. How many of you in this room have had either one of your own children or somebody in your ministry, a parent or somebody come to you and say, hey, uh, we've just had an incident. They broke down and like, help us. Just raise up your hand, have that incident. Okay, all right. So it, it is a reality that we're facing. Here's a couple of cultural lies. The first cultural lie is this, porn is harmless. The culture will tell you it's no big deal, it's harmless. The truth is it distorts reality. Pope John Paul II said this, there is no dignity when the human dimension is eliminated from the person. I love this statement. In short, the problem with pornography is that not that it shows too much of the person, but it shows far too little. Meaning there is so much more to the person than what is visually seen on a screen. And that's what pornography does is it dehumanizes, it desensitizes, and now we can no longer look at a member of the opposite sex or even the same sex because our eyes and our mind have been rewired to view them as an object more than a person with a feeling and a story and a dream and a spiritual being that God loves and created and has a plan for their life. Second, porn has serious personal ramifications. It distorts attitudes about sexuality, leads to increased sexual permissiveness and risky behaviors. It also decreases marital satisfaction and breaks down trust between spouses. In the end, it leaves people with perpetual feelings of shame and guilt. Recently, there was, um, in Atlanta, there was a man who went on a shooting spree of uh, people who worked at massage parlors because he had had seen so much of the, he couldn't get out of his porn addiction. So you can't tell me that pornography is harmless. It affects people. The cultural lie is, is a lie. Here's another truth. Um, tr- the truth is pornography is addictive. Porn is addictive. Um, there's a, a book, it's called Hooked, on the new science on how casual sex is affecting our children. And what they say is this, that porn actually changes the physical makeup of our brain. Um, If you've ever done much in the way of brain science study and research, you know that the more you repeat an action, the more the brain, uh, the synapses fire and it creates a pathway in the brain. That's called the neuroplasticity, right? And so a tennis player who practices their serve over and over, the reason they can get really, really good at it is because it's wiring circuits in the brain. The truth of the matter is about pornography and that addiction is whenever you view pornography or a child views pornography, it is rewiring the brain about relationships and about the things that they see and they do. And in a child, there is way more neuroplasticity than there is an adult. So when a child views pornography, the the ramifications of that later on in life are much, much more severe than if an adult were to view pornography. So the physical makeup of the brain, and, and here's some of the some stats from Covenant Eyes. 90% of boys and 60% of girls said they were exposed to pornography before the age of 18. One out of every eight online searches and one out of every five mobile searches is for pornography. And a full one-third of the internet bandwidth is consumed with porn. You have to understand this. Because you need to know that when, you're, when you have parents that don't come to you, it does not mean they're not dealing with it. It just might mean that they don't know how to get help or they have not yet realized what's going on in their home. Um, it is evident that through various behaviors, in fact, they have redefined addictive behaviors in the, uh, um, the MS, whatever it is, a diagnostics uh, manual Um, to actually include now internet, uh, gambling, internet pornography, those kinds of addictions, not just cocaine and alcohol, but actually internet-related things. And so they've redefined that. Um, It is evident that various behaviors which are repeatedly reinforcing the reward, motivation, and memory circuitry are all part of disease addiction. That's exactly what pornography does, is it triggers in the mind the dopamine, the reward system, which causes you... Okay, leave the spirituality part of it out. 
physiologically, your brain is telling you, get more of that. It was so good. Just like a cocaine addict or somebody who's addicted to thievery or for gambling, the reward centers or you on your social media with your likes and your Instagram, the exact same trigger that's saying, pick up your phone and look at it is what's happening with pornography and it's happening in our children. This thing doesn't go away. It's like a cancer in the brain, but it's a cancer in the thoughts. So watching internet porn floods your brain with dopamine and opioids. Think about an opioid epidemic, okay, about the drugs hitting the streets. Pornography floods your brain with dopamine and opioids, the drugs that make you feel good, and you can keep high for prolonged periods of time simply with the click of a mouse. So when they talk about it not being harmful, the truth is pornography is very highly, highly addictive. There's a second lie that not that it's harmless, but the second lie is this, it's personal. In other words, it's my choice. Back off. I'm going to do what I want with my body, with my mind, with my time. This is none of your business. The truth, again, is pornography damages marriages. Scripture never endorses sexuality in isolation. In isolation. Never but pornography severs sexuality from its relational context. Remember, it's, it's, it's the person and a screen. So as we noted earlier, it harms relationships and dehumanizes people, treating them as objects for sexual gratification. It disconnects sex from a relationship between two people who love each other and converts it to a means for personal indulgence. Watching porn is a thoroughly selfish pursuit. The second truth about personal is this. Ultimately, pornography promotes human trafficking. So you say, hey, this is just me. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's not affecting anybody. It promotes human trafficking. In the, uh, recently, about a year ago, we had a summit of, um, in the Assemblies of God on human trafficking. We brought in ministries from around the nation who work to fight human trafficking. And many of them, uh, some of them are going out into places that are known to have prostitution and trafficked women, and they're rescuing the women. They're getting the women off the streets. They're getting them into a place where they can receive health and, and are, are healing, and they can uh, learn a new way. Way of, uh, of living and overcome all the, the abuse and everything that was a part of their life. But they will befriend the pimps in the process. And you're just like, what? How? In, don't the pimps hate you? And the pimps like, no, because we, can, we know we can always find more women. So when you think about pornography, as it transitions into actually acting out on this, this is why pornography promotes human trafficking because it just continues. Another truth is porn leads to abdication of other responsibilities. It consumes all of your time, all of your mind. You can't do anything else. And then finally is that spiritual impact. The devil wreaks havoc on people who are subjected to an addiction to pornography. On the minds of kids, their worth, their calling. What kid who's addicted to pornography is going to come to an altar and say, I'm called, and not have the devil speak to them and say, how in the world do you think you can ever be a minister of the gospel when you're addicted to this? Right? So to say it's personal is another cultural lie. Well, let's look at how bad this is. How bad is internet pornography? Well, first of all, it's very similar to other technology addictions. And we're not going to have an altar call after this moment, but this is where we take everything in technology that's not porn-related, okay? Uh, so it's similar to other, other addictions. Unless you have a technology-free life, which, let's all be honest, if you have a microwave, you have technology in your home, okay? So unless you have a technology-free life, every one of us in this room has some form of a technology addiction. For some, it will be extreme. For others, it will be minor. But the tech industry is very good at getting us to want to think about using our technology. Do you have notifications on your phone? How hard is it to not look at your smartwatch or to look at your phone when it buzzes? It's a technology addiction, friends. Most people think they are the user and the device is the slave. But in reality, the device is the user and we are the slave. Well, when you think about this in the way of social media and notifications and all the things that we habitually do, again, it's the same kind of dopamine hit. When you add to that the shame and the graphic nature of pornography, it takes it that much further. So how bad is it? Try to go 24 hours without your phone. 
try to go 24 hours without thinking about your phone. See how bad that is? Take that even further when you add the guilt and the shame of it. Okay, a recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. Can I let you in on a little secret? I was going to make a slide that had a tiny little iPhone on it and repeated 2,617 times so you could see visually just I could not make it work because it made my computer crash. So each of us use our phone for two and a half hours a day. I don't know if you know this, but on most, at least on the iPhones, I don't know if every phone does this, but there is a feature in your settings called screen time. And it will show you on average how much you're using your phone, which apps are taking up the most time. I would encourage you, get familiar with that, have it send you a report. Um, and at the end, when I start giving you some ideas on a technology reboot, that's one of the features that you can use to help you with that reboot. Whether it's social media, TV binging uh, subscriptions, crushing the latest game on your smartphone, the same triggers that keep drawing you back that are a part of are, are drawing you back are a part of the danger of pornography. But the graphic and sexual nature of it and the shame that's involved is so much worse. So here's some ways it's similar. Internet porn is always accessible. This is even why and we'll, uh, why pornography is, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. I, I'm gonna jump in ahead of myself. It's always accessible. It's on smart devices. It's on computers. You're like, okay, Mark, tell me something I don't know. Um, it's also on tablets. And by the way, internet connected game systems. This is probably the sleeper in most homes. PlayStations, games, uh, the, uh, the Nintendo, the Sony, the, um, the Microsoft, those game systems likely have pornography uh, laden in it. By the way, there are also apps that the app store um, that people create that hide what's going on inside of them. So it can be very discreet. So it, there's ways that you can work around it. We've, we've had conversations with pornogra- about pornography with our boys and we've told them, look, we're gonna put safeguards in place, but I'm telling you, if you want to find porn, if you are not dedicated to not having it, you will find a way around it. So this is not a solution, this is a tool. Solutions work, so that's not a solution, it's a tool to help with the solution. So the, the, it's always accessible. Um, by the way, school-issued computers, we've had our issues with, uh, with, one, with our youngest boy was on a school-issued computer. That's on school time, on school property, when he was accessing things that were triggering uh, those things in his mind. Uh, Another way it's similar is uh, your device knows more about you than you know about yourself. It provides you with what you think you want to see. Have you ever been shopping for a tent and you Google searched a tent and now every site you go, they're recommending tents to you, right? The internet knows more about you than you know about yourself. If I'm like, I wonder what my blood pressure is. I'm going to look on my phone. It's there. I want to know what my weight trend is. It's on my phone. I want to know my savings. It's on... I don't know those things, but my phone, it's always on my phone. So your smart device knows more about you than you do. Another way it's similar is most people don't realize how much they've given up in the process. The same thing is true with pornography. People don't know how much they're giving up. And finally, uh, it may seem like it's not that big a deal. Here's some other things. Porn is similar to other negative addictions. Now we're getting in, in not just in technology comparison, but other addictive behaviors. Again, same reward triggers. Um, the same reward, sense of reward triggers in the brain from porn as it does with, with gambling addictions, with cocaine addictions, and, and all those things. Um, in other words, an inter- internet um, porn addiction is dangerous as getting a child addicted to cocaine. Many would say worse because you don't meet up with a dealer to make the transaction. You can do it in the comfort of your own home when no one's watching, and the image stays in your mind forever. The world and the culture also downplays the negative impact of porn in the same way other voices may say, you know what, I have a right. Can I just suggest to you that children uh, living in your home uh, may, under the age of 18, under the age, whatever age you determine, privacy is not a right. Privacy is a privilege to be stewarded, not a right. So if your child comes to you and says, I have a right to privacy, big time flag, the voice of culture is speaking to them more than the voice of reason in your home, okay? 
uh, it starts off when people justify it by saying, you know what, that wasn't that bad. That was actually kind of fun. See, nothing, nobody ever got hurt, and it makes it that much harder to stop doing it in the future. So why, what does all this mean? When your child views porn, they may repent and never want to do it again, but the physical body's response, the cultural pressure, and Satan's temptations, the direct connection to the negative outcomes, the lack of direct connection to negative outcomes makes it easy for them to view again. This means that though the spiritual desire might be there to avoid pornography, the physical addiction will be at war with it. Read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, right? That's what he's talking about there. So how is porn different than other negative addictions? Porn seeks you out when you aren't looking at it. One study showed that 47% of school-aged children received porn spam on a daily basis. How in the world are we supposed to fight them from seeing it? We have to know how to handle it when they do, right? The study also found that one is a, one, as many as one in five children open the spam that they receive. So you just got to know that um, it, it's looking for kids and schools are not secure. Just because it's a school and they have filters in place and you have a home with filters in place, it's not going to keep them from seeing it. Another way it's different is porn shames in ways that other negative behaviors don't. There is a shaming that goes on in the mind of the individual after viewing porn. So if your child steals something and they're caught, they can make restitution. That helps to eliminate a level of shame and guilt. But with pornography, there is no way to restore what has been stolen. So the shame stays there in a longer way. Porn burns images into your mind. Again, we talked about this before. The risk of porn addiction is much greater than crack cocaine because the images stay forever. Okay, now to the, to the part, now what? Now what? This is the part where people get hopeful. You can start clapping and amening at this point if you want to in the message. Hopefully, you're helping parents to have early and often conversations about a variety of topics in the home. And pornography, sexuality, the human body, identity are all parts of those conversations. It's not too late if you've never had those conversations when a child comes to you, but I'll tell you, it'll be much easier if you start before the first viewing happens or the first awareness happens. Um, so this is a key moment when parents obviously struggle with knowing what to do. Even the well-intentioned parents trying to prepare their child for this world really often underestimate the power of what pornography does in the heart and the life of their child. Once internet porn is confirmed or suspected, I would say the parent must deploy what I'm calling delicate investigation. This will require some combination of conversation, technology, digging, and listening to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to make this super easy for you. I'm going to give you an acronym, SLOW. So when you're helping parents know how to respond, just remember SLOW. Here's where it is. Number one, stop. The S is stop. Whenever you discover it on their device or they come and they confess to you, the first thing I want you to do is stop. Take a breath. Don't respond immediately. Whatever you do, stay in control. This is not to avoid having the hard conversation. This isn't a, well, wait till your mom gets home or wait till your dad gets home. This is all about you controlling your reaction. So it's a tool for composure to have a measured response. And here's why. Not only will your child always remember the images they've seen on the screen, but the child will remember your first response to them when they confessed it to you or when you discovered it. That will replay in the theater of their mind, and it will confirm to them, my parent is a safe person to go to when I'm struggling, or I better just keep this to myself and try to hide it. That's why we stop so that we can have a measured response. L is listen. Ask questions to get your child talking. Now, keep in mind, this is going to be just as awkward for them as it is the parent. Maybe more so. Because they may not know all of the proper language to use and the appropriate language. The language they may have is the slang they've picked up from their friends at school or what they've seen online. And they know it's not right, but they don't know any other word to use. And also, the more they talk, the more that it feels like I'm just digging myself deeper and deeper into the hole. And so slowing down and listening to have them keep talking is important. Uh, observe is the O. 
put together the observations from their story. This is where you got to do, again, a little bit more digging. So hand me your phone. I want to, what, what apps are you using? Where did you see it? What, who was involved? You've got to do some observation to begin to look. One of the things we discovered when uh, in our one of our first conversations with our son is he was not using the correct spelling. And that's one of the tricks that people use. They don't use correct spelling for the words. They'll substitute numbers for, for letters and all these. So when you're trying to dig, you might say, well, that's just, that may be an acronym that means something that you didn't know. Um, texting is another way that you do this, and emojis have subliminal meanings. So you've got to understand that, that they might, oh, that's just really cute emojis. And actually those emojis might be communicating something that you're unaware of. So you've got to know where those things are, and you have to understand those. So you've got to observe um, they also may not tell you the facts of everything because they may not want the other person to get in trouble. Um, they may not. They may feel if they if somebody finds out that they're going to get uh, made fun of, or uh, you know. So so there's all different kinds of things that go on in the life and the mind of the child. And the fourth thing is what's up. So stop, listen, observe, and what's up. This is where you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you before you formulate your response. This is key. Sometimes we parent based on good parenting books and blogs. And what we need to be doing is parenting, relying on the Holy Spirit. So obviously those books and those blogs are important. This session is important, but the Holy Spirit trumps everything. If you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit and praying the entire time, he will lead you because what you might find out is they may not be trying to do anything deviant. They may be struggling with other issues that you've got to get to the root of. Um, we had an issue... Um, one, one of our boys uh, was getting in trouble at school. I, we have good kids, and he was getting in trouble at school because he was uh, using language and talking, like bullying people verbally. Is the, the, the accusation was like, what in the world? This is not our child. Well, what we discovered was our son so badly wants people to, to not be embarrassed that what people were saying about them, he would go and tell them, thinking that once they knew they would change. So he was trying to be a helper, and because he was telling them, they viewed that as being bullying. So again, you you just got to understand there might be more going on. He was not bullying somebody. He was trying to be a helper, and it was perceived in the wrong way. So when you listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit may reveal to you deeper things that are going on in the life of the child. Maybe there's separation anxiety because of a divorce or a split or, or you know, other things financially. And, you know, you never know what's going on, and you... you you can deal with the pornography, but sometimes there's underlying issues that God wants to reveal to us that we deal with as well. So as you're guiding parents through this delicate conversation, or if they step in and say, hey, would you have this conversation for us? Here's some, again, very practical steps on how to determine the severity, because this is an important part of that observation piece you need to determine the severity of it. So here's the kinds of things that you're going to be trying to investigate for. One, did they look for the pornography or did it find them? There's a difference in severity there. If it found them and they clicked on it and then you discovered or they confessed it is different than if they have taken the device to a part of the house or at a friend's, I'm going there because that's where I can view those things. There's a difference there. Um, number two in de de determining the severity. Did they come to you or did you discover it? Again, there's a difference when you find out about it is kind of day one of, of moving forward. But if you discover it and it's been going on for a long time, it's different than if they come to you and they say, hey, you know what, this is going on and, and I don't know what to do with it. Again, you've got to determine the severity. Number three, did they try to fight the temptation or did they feel powerless? This one is huge because I think sometimes people think that, that all of the... Um, that anytime you give in, it's bad. You know, some people are fighting and fighting and fighting. They just, it just becomes so overwhelming because the, the number of emails, the number of images, the number of pressure is so great. They just get, so did they fight it? That's great. If they're just saying, you know what, there's nothing I can do. It's just going to be what it's going to be. Again, that's a big flag for as far as the severity level goes. And fourthly would be this is what did they see? And this is the part that's getting probably the most difficult part of the conversation to have. Unless you actually have access on their device to what they've seen or done, 
trying to figure out, were they viewing things that were homosexual or heterosexual in nature? Were they viewing sexual acts or were they viewing sensuality? Were they viewing things that were extreme or were they viewing things that were not as extreme? I mean, to think about, you could walk through the mall and go past Victoria's Secret and end up seeing things that trigger a dopamine hit in the brain, right? So when you talk about levels of severity, that's kind of what we're trying to get at. Uh, was it parts of the body or was it, you know, something entirely different? Um, and, and the last thing on severity is this, is if it feels or if it seems like it's, um, it's gone on a long time or it's very severe on the severity scale, seek the help of a professional. Again, those young minds, you don't want to just chance that to somebody who for the first, didn't even know how to have the conversation with a child because they didn't know what was going on. So encourage those families to seek the help of a professional. All right, let me give you some tips now for you or the parents when they're having this conversation. Number one is this, channel or direct your anger and disappointment. Channel and direct your anger or disappointment. You are going to be, they are going to be likely angry with your child, with the child, and or disappointed in them. Understandable. But do your best to channel that anger more directly at the industry, the app creators, and those individuals so that they know, you know what, you're, part of what's going on here is, is, yes, you had a personal response. You're not abdicated from that responsibility but they took advantage of you, and that was wrong. I want you to know that I'm really angry with them because they don't even know you, and they're luring you into something that is going to detri be detrimental for your life. So that's what I mean by channeling your anger and disappointment. Um, get them angry at Satan. I mean, he, he's the father of the twisting of everything that God created that was good. Uh, make sure that they affirm their love for the child and then make sure that they also affirm to walk with the child as they overcome. The worst thing they could do is to say, you know what, you got into this mess, it's up to you to get out of it. Parents, our job is to walk with our children. Let me tell you kind of how this works out in our house. When our kids are 13 years old, we do kind of a year of rite of passage activities. One of those activities um, formerly would have been known, we, when I grew up, it was a purity seminar or a, pur a purity um, ceremony, okay? And you'd get a purity ring and you're committing to keep yourself sexually pure until you get married. Great. Uh, no problem with that. Love it. What we did is we took a different approach. We had men, because we have two boys, we had men come to our house and speak over them a word of blessing and a word of promise for their future. And then at the end, I stood before, before the, my, each of my boys individually and said, look, the journey to manhood is not an individual journey. To be a man, you have to be in the company of men. We're going to get about that in the gender conversation. Be in the company of men. So as you navigate issues of purity, decisions, every one of these men here are on your team to help you get there successfully. Same issue of purity, but totally different. One is you're on your own and you're promising before all these people you're going to be pure and we're watching, right? Versus, you know what? We want you to be pure. We know what the life looks like when it is pure. We see the damage when it's not pure and it's going to be really hard. So we're with you to help you get there. You see, that's the beauty of helping parents to understand when you affirm the kids, it's not overlooking the sin, it's journeying with them to overcome that. Second tip in conversation is show empathy and compassion on the shame and embarrassment they feel. Oh man, you know what? I can't imagine how awkward this must be for you to talk to your parent about what you saw. I'm really sorry about that. But the only way we're gonna get through that is by both of us getting uncomfortable, and this is going to be probably as awkward for me as it is for you. But can we just agree that we're going to do our best to have maybe as mature of a conversation as we can in this moment? And you see, you begin to talk about it in a little bit of a different way. Um, by the way, again, keeping in mind, first exposure was likely not intentional, but an act of internet predatory uh, behavior inadvertent activity, a friend or family member, or a public advertisement that they saw. Third tip is this, provide language during the conversation. Provide language during the conversation. Don't judge the child if they use the only language they know and it's a little bit crass and it's a little bit off. 
You have to allow them to speak in the words that they know. And at that age, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, they may not know all of the formal ways, the medical ways to talk about the parts of the body. So you're going to have to help the parents. And, and one of the great ways that you can, again, and even preemptive, just to make it a normal part of your life or the parent's life in the home is to say, have you ever seen or today or this week, did you see something or experience something that made you uncomfortable or made you feel like, boy, I don't know if I could ever talk to my parents about that. That's a very unthreatening way to help to build that foundation. You know, this is a safe place to come. And they might start with things that are pretty innocuous. Yeah, I saw somebody push somebody over in the playground today. Oh, man, how'd that make you feel? Lean into it. Let them build the trust that you're there to help them. Um, all right, now let's consider the last thing would be this, to consider a technology reboot for the family. A technology reboot for the family. A technology reboot would basically be taking every single device in your home, and that's technology, internet connected. We'll leave the microwaves out of this. <laughs> technology, internet connected, and doing a reboot. And I would say of the tips for that, it would be, first of all, make it for the entire family. Don't pick on the one child because the truth of the matter is, even if none of us in this room are viewing pornography on our devices, we could all benefit from a technology reboot, right? So the entire family, not just the one who viewed the porn. Number two, eliminate all sources of visual stimulation. So cancel your subscriptions to Hulu and Amazon Prime and uh, Netflix and all those other subscriptions. Um, do a block on YouTube, research the movies using tools like Plugged In or whatever uh, to find out what's going on in those, those movies. Uh, restrict the use of technology to only times when you're together and it's, it's intentional. Okay, you know what? Dinner's done. Uh, the place is cleaned. We're going to take the next 30 minutes. Everyone can get out your phones, your devices. We're going to sit around the living room and you can get on your social media. So designate a time. Why is that important? One, because now you're, you're telling your people, your kids, this is the slave, not me. You will not control me. I'm controlling you. And for this time is the only time we're going to allow ourselves to get in there. And the hardest people is, like in my family, the hardest person to do this is me. Because I'll justify, oh, I'm just taking a picture of the family. This is a great moment. Oh, I have to check my email. I'm going to turn on the sprinklers, right? So you can justify that. But if you're really going to do it, you've got to commit to doing that. Um, access to technology is not a right that cannot be removed. It's a privilege to be stewarded. And we talked about privacy before. Okay, fourth tip on the family reboot is restrict the use of technology to open areas only. So no screens in bedrooms, in bathrooms, in private places. When you walk into a room, you should be able to see the screen front and center. It shouldn't be the back of the TV, the back of the screen, and they got a couple of seconds to click away. Uh -uh. You should have full visibility of every screen, especially when you're doing a technology reboot. But that's just kind of normal for all the time. Uh, implement a sacred space. I love sacred spaces. Um, in our family, we use sacred spaces. We have kind of our backyard. We have a fire pit. Uh, dinner times are usually sacred spaces when we go on trips. And a sacred space is this. The, the most important person in a sacred space, if Matt and I are having a cup of coffee together, is Matt and I. So my phone's not upside down on the table. I can work and hear it buzz. It is off. It is put away. It is not going to distract me. Even if he doesn't know it buzzes, it's in my pocket and buzzes. It's distracting me. So a sacred space means it's just you and I. No one else is there. So create sacred spaces for the family and maximize those. All right? Um, here's another one. Reward your family members for the least amount of screen time. Remember that app I showed you, on that tool on your phone on screen time? Pull it out once a week and say, okay, who's got the least amount of screen time? Okay, you get to choose where we're going for dessert, right? And make it part of the game so it's not like, well, if you do all your chores, you get to use your screen. Make the reduction of screen time the reward, that you're going to celebrate and get out and do something with it. So kind of inverting some of that. And the last thing would, would be this on the technology reboot is figure out what story you want to tell for your family. Some families just let life happen. And I think as, as, as church leaders who are helping families, help them tell the story they want told of them 20, 30, 40 years from now. Man, my family, we did blank. We did blank. 
you know what, how many stories are going to be told? You know what, in my family, we sat around and we just kind of went to our rooms. We were on our devices. We played video games, but we, ne we didn't manage the story. And when you determine the story that you want told for your family, you can allow the characters to develop. You can allow the plot to develop. And you can make sure that your storyline is way better than the fantasy experience they're going to get and the shame they're going to experience by watching Internet pornography. So figure out the story that you want to tell. And then we talk about maybe a spiritual reboot. Again, we talked about Romans. And, man, uh, I would encourage you to read through that because there's, there's a part of this that as, as I'm reading and preparing for this lesson and I'm, and I'm studying my devotions this year, the book of Romans, going just very, very slowly through the book of Romans. I'm not speed reading. And I get to the part where the, in Romans and, and Paul writes, he says, you know what, God gave them over to the sinful desires and allowed their bodies, basically that sin to take root. So to me, I'm making a connection that there is, there is a physical a response to a spiritual uh, action, meaning that rewiring of the brain is part of God saying, you know what, if you're going to do this, it's gonna, there's going to be a sowing and a reaping that takes place. And then you transition to Paul, and he's talking about the war of the flesh and the spirit, and the power of sin is broken through the power of the spirit. But yet, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. What a wretched man I am. Again, I'm wrestling with that spirit and that physical response, and that's a reality. And so then you get to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ doesn't mean you don't fight because the more you give in to those sins and those lusts, the more it's going to squelch the spirit. That's a biblical truth. But you have to know that as your kids and as people in your church are journeying through this, God is saying every day you're going to battle with this. And some days you may be victorious and some days you may not, but there is no condemnation. So keep fighting. Don't give up on that. Keep fighting. The last screen is this, just some simple tools, and then I'll open up for some Q&A. Tools and resources. A um, couple of these that we use in our home, we use OpenDNS. Um, and um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a hack on that. Um, but you get into OpenDNS, it's free, and there's different levels of internet safety that you can do. And basically what it does is on your home Wi-Fi router, uh, or internet router, you create settings that allow you to create a filter for anyone who's on the internet. Now, here's the, here's the workaround on this, and kids know this. Turn off your Wi-Fi, turn on your data plan, and you're bypassing that. So again, these are, so, these are resources and tools, not solutions, okay? Um, we put, we had our internet service provider come out, and they, they brought in a new modem a couple months ago, and our open DNS was not working. And, um, so I, and I, so I tried to get into my settings. Everything's password protected. I'm on tech support. It's like, here's what I want to do. It's like, you can't do that. I said, why? It's because we control that. I said, I want this on my device. I said, no, you can't do that. I said, this is ridiculous. So here's what I did. Here's the workaround. If you have an internet provider that doesn't let you do that, unplug the internet from the back of it. So now it's no longer getting any control from, like for us, it's our Suddenlink provider. They're the ones... So we powered it up, I logged in, I changed my DNS settings because now their control was gone. Then I plugged them back in and rebooted it, and guess what, my settings were still there. So I figured out how to tell my Suddling people, you can't tell me what to do, I'm going to protect my family. All right, OpenDNS, NetNanny, Moby, uh, MobyChip, uh, plugged in, we use that one, Covenant Eyes, we have used in the past. We've not used Circle with Disney. Now, Google Home is another one. We actually also use Google Home. Similar, you can get in. If you use their, um, their devices, the Google Home or the Nest Wi-Fi, they're kind of a, a affiliated uh, brands. You can also block sites with that one. National Center for Sexual Exploitation and Protecting Young Eyes will have some great resources for you, you as there, for you as well. Okay. Oh, man, I covered a lot in, the, in this time, and uh, hopefully you found some, some insights that will help you uh, communicate with parents or if you ever find it, when you find it in your home uh, so that you can navigate this a little bit better. Let me pause for a couple of questions and answers. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we're going to all have to hear the DNS thing again because I had no clue what that meant. I'm like, I got to figure that out. Whatever you did, take control of my house and internet. No, thank you so much. I'm going to take the mic.
And yeah, we're also grateful. I'm going to pass the mic over. Oh, there's one right there. Okay, perfect. So we'll use this one as a Q&A one, just to, so we can have the recording of it. Um, and yeah, so appreciate it. Anybody want to just start us off? Parker? So what is a, so as a leader in the church helping a parent, right, what does a continuous conversation look like for a parent? Because obviously they're coming to you for help because they don't know how to navigate through this, right? And I don't think one conversation is enough. And, you know, kids are going to find different outlets to explore this that's not on technology, right, just all over the world. So how do you help a parent navigate multiple conversations after that first one? Hello. All right. Uh, great question. Um, so I'm going to try to give a very brief answer to a very big topic. Okay. Um, sex education in the home, which is really what this is a part of. Okay. The, the talk about internet pornography. Sex education. If I were to ask you, what's the appropriate age to start sex education? Give me some guesses. Third grade? Immediately? What are some others? Five? Immediately is correct. When you're changing your baby's first diaper and you're talking about their body, you're speaking about permission to touch them, to see them in places, you're communicating, you're already wiring in their brain what's appropriate and not appropriate. Okay? So, so that's how you start to help parents to understand sex education. And this conversation, again, doesn't begin the moment they say, hey, I saw something that made me uncomfortable. It starts back then. Um, and so what does that mean? That means I would encourage you to encourage your parents to not use pet names. I'm not even, even going to say what, what I was raised with, but because um, it's being recorded. <laughs> um, but the problem with using pet names for body parts right. is that when they go to school and they get educated or they hear it on the playground, they're like, oh, maybe my parents don't know what they're talking about. And all of a sudden, your parents are now have no knowledge, no, te no authority because they're trying to be cute. Okay? So, so that's, that's what has to happen when you're having those conversations. So ongoing conversations, and that's the beginning of it ongoing conversations, there's just some really great questions that will help you with that. Man, if you see something on a movie that's inappropriate, some will stop right there and talk about it. Others will wait till the movie is over, but talk about it. Doesn't matter. Okay, we saw this. How did that make you feel? Did you feel like that was inappropriate? Okay, so don't judge me. Last year, part of our rite of passage that we do, 13-year-old son, was take him on a trip. We were going go to go to Disney. That got canceled. We were going to go to Alaska. That got canceled. The only place that was open was South Dakota. And it happened to be that the week I had on vacation was the week of Sturgis. Well, we are motorcycle and gearheads. My son and I love cars. We love motorcycles. So we went to Sturgis. <gasps> you went to Sturgis? Yes, we went to Sturgis. Well, we went smartly. We went in the morning. We stopped at the church and talked to people who are doing ministry. By the way, Sturgis is one of the largest motorcycle rallies in the United States. Uh, it is known for scantily clad women. Okay, just let you, that's, that's why people are, oh, you went to Sturgis. I mean, motorcycles aren't known for being the most wholesome people, unless you're part of the honor-bound um, <laughs> chaplaincy ministry of the Assemblies of God, which then you better be about modesty. Um, but we saw, we saw women that weren't really dressed in a way that, they weren't modest. So we talked about it. Said, how did that make you feel? I mean, I was really sad. Why? So that's what it means to have ongoing conversations. Let me tell you, the worst time to talk to, or the worst way to talk to, especially a boy, is sit down, look me in the eyes, I have something important to tell you. And again, we're going to get into this in the gender conversation a little bit later, but the idea is you have to have ongoing conversations with them. Boys, it's better when they're active. So for my boys, when we did the, the sex talk, quote unquote, with them, we're riding our bikes through the neighborhood, talking about pornography and talking about masturbation. And we're talking about the, I'm sure the neighbor's like, what in the world are they? <laughs> because we want to be active. We're, we sit around, we're playing Legos and, and it, it, it shocks them a little bit. But that's way better, and we're going for a drive in the car, or we're going out, and we're, we're doing things together. So it's the flow of life. It's, 
it's, I think, how God really wired boys to, to grow. Girls are a little bit different, but you still have to have ongoing conversations with them about it. And by the way, a lot of this, uh, the, the porn addiction really affects men more than women. And I'm sensitive to say more than because it doesn't not affect women. It does affect women and girls, just not in the same way that it does the men. So it's primarily for our men and boys, but don't be, don't be disillusioned. Women are, are falling more and more victim to, to internet pornography as well. So tried to summarize that quickly, but there's a lot to that. Great question. Um, so what would you say to a parent who says, um, that will never happen to my child, you know, by faith, I believe that they will never come into contact with this. What would you say to them? Yeah, those, those are a valid question. And I think, you know, a lot of parents will say that about really anything by faith. My child's never going to get cancer. My, ch my child's going to get straight A's. My child's going to be an NFL football player. Um, there's a lot of things that we believe about our children. Um, but we still prepare for in the event that it doesn't happen. So in the event your child never sees internet pornography, by laying the foundation early on about the sexual education, you have prepared them for a sexually fulfilling marriage and future life. So, so to not to say, well, that's not going to happen, so I don't need to prepare for it, really doesn't set them up because they're going to see a perspective of marriage and sexuality from the world that you can't control. And so... It's part of it is prevention of pornography, but the greater thing, and I'm glad you asked this question because it allows me to refocus this, the greater purpose of sexual education and sex conversations with your kids is a fulfilling life and marriage down the road. That's so good. And especially because some of our church contexts, you know, especially depending on where we're at, we have some parents that are like, you know, it's just natural. Like, no, it doesn't happen. We've, sh we've sheltered them. And I just think that's such a great approach. That you laid out there Those for are great us. questions yeah guys and we pushed it we're pushing it back another 15 oh. minutes here so we're oh, good cool. um great. The, it'll we got we got time here yeah so i know like you were talking about a lot about like in the house stuff and so i was just thinking what what is a good way to handle the situation when they like get access from a friend's phone or from a, uh, a friend that's like, oh, hey, check out this magazine. Because you may be able to stop things in your house, but you're not going to be able to stop it if they go to, like, a different school or their buddy from, like, their soccer team or their football team or any basketball team that they are on say, hey, I want to show you something. And then you're like, oh, I mean, like, how do you navigate that in order to make – your son or daughter be able to make wise de wise decisions in saying no I'm not going to look at that you know yeah great question and um, there's really no silver bullet answer to get it right 100% of the time but again if you're having those ongoing conversations with your kids that's a key part of it in addition to that though is um, parents should be knowing the parents and the home situations of the other kids and um, it's different to go over for an afternoon than it is to go for an, for an overnighter. So understanding kind of the difference on those things. Um, I mean, this is, this is boys and girls. They may go for an overnighter, and there may be a, an older sibling or a, an adult in the home that takes advantage of them while they're there. So, so you've, it's not just pornography in that situation. So you've got to know the homes. You've got to know the people um, that you're a part of. And, again, that's – that's where, again, you have kind of a, um, not a drill sergeant kind of que questioning and investigation, but a, hey, did you have fun? Yeah, what'd you do? We had a birthday party, you know, played games, we did this. Okay, tell me what movies did you watch? Oh, we watched this movie, okay. You know, did anything happen that, that made you feel a little bit awkward or that wasn't something we would do in our home? Again, those are safe ways to allow them to be honest without feeling like, hey, did you watch porn? You know, what? No, but maybe there were three other things that they did that made them just as uncomfortable, right? So are there things that they did that we don't do? Actually, yeah, they prayed over their meal and they spoke in tongues like, <laughs> snap, you know? <laughs> so, um, so I think those are great ways that you can maybe help with those conversations and as well as have a measure of preventative approach to that. Um, knowing the statistics of how many adults struggle with pornographic um, addiction. My question is, if we become aware that not only a child is um, being exposed to it, but that 
the parents themselves are struggling with it. How do we work with that family dynamic? You know, uh, some of the same understandings would be true. Um, again, guilt and shame, potentially the, the habit um, or the addiction has been going on longer. Um, I think sometimes in the church world, we view internet pornography or these addictions as only spiritual. Well, if you just pray long enough, God will deliver you. And, and again, there, there is a part of, yes, there is a, there is a the spiritual deliverance of that, and God does deliver people. But there's also that, um, is it Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How long did it take to get to this point of addiction? It may take equally as long, if not longer, for the mind to be fully renewed. So, so there is a journey with these people. In fact, um, Linda Seiler, uh, Chi Alpha missionary at Drury University, before she became an AG missionary to, to college students, she was going to change her name to David and go through surgery and hormonal treatments to, to live as a transgendered man. Did I say that right? Right? Live as the, the opposite sex. And she said it took her 11 years to really understand, to get her mind to, how did she say this? To make sure that her mind conformed to her body, not try to make her body conform to her mind. See, okay, so, so you can see there. So some of these things, the way that the enemy works is it takes this progression over and over and over. And we in the church say, well, well God will deliver you. And he does many times. Yes. But there are also times where you have to journey out of it. That's, why does he do it that way? I don't know. But I know it does make the church come around the individual. And it makes them work hard. And it makes them understand, okay. I can't slip back into this because it's taken me years to get free from it. And so I think part of that is the understanding that there is a spiritual component and are they continuing to fight and are they trying to stay close to Jesus? Are they feeling their time? Because as they do that, it will start to crowd out what's in there from the world, but it may not happen overnight. But again, the technology reboot, professional counseling, um, those are great tools. There's, a, there's courses they can take online, interestingly, that you can go through to help you with that. So there's a lot of tools out there. I would say by and large, in most situations for internet or for really any addiction, um, it typically is beyond what a pastor is prepared to do unless they've had specific advanced training in that area. So that's where you might have two or three counseling sessions and then refer them to a professional. Anybody else have a question? So I would say, let, let's end with this question. Um, and we got about five minutes here uh, left. And then um, our next session, you guys, we're going to jump back, to, uh, push back the breakouts to 11.45, just so you guys know so we have some time here. But let me ask this. So as our leaders and pastors in this room, if you just had to say, what would be the just the next step? You know, sometimes it's like, you know, you hear all that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, my goodness, like, so good. But it's just like, where do I start? What would, what would you say is like, where's a good on-ramp that we could start implementing this? in our ministries with our families. Yeah, if you have a parenting small group or a parenting class, um, finding, taking some of this resource and building a presentation to help them understand would be good. Um, I'd, be, I'd be careful to help them maybe know more how to implement those conversations if they haven't had them as part. Of, they may go home and over, over lunch on Sunday afternoon after the first small group, you know, pepper their kids and their kids are just wide-eyed like, what in the world just happened? We're not going to that church anymore, right? Um, so you, you want to have them learn how to, you know, so it might be a course of a couple of uh, weeks of classes that you help to introduce them to start maybe with the slow acronym so that they understand. And, and that, by the way, works with any, your kid comes home and um, you know, they've had whatever, they, they've disobeyed you with whatever that you, you fill in the blank, they fill in the blank. That slow acronym is great because again, you wanna have a measured response. You wanna have time to rely on the Holy Spirit before you jump into parent mode and fire back, you're grounded for life. Um, but a class would yeah. be maybe be a good, good yeah. place to start on that. Um, the other thing would be um, getting some books to read and having a recommended library. Um, so one that you saw up there and um, uh, in the, the footnotes, um, A Practical Guide to Culture by Stone Street and Kunkel. And everyone's um, gonna, we have that. On, oh, that's right. Yeah, everyone's going to walk away with that book. Awesome. Okay. So, so yeah. um, a lot of what I got on this, this chapter of, uh, on pornography came from that book. But giving that to parents because it talks about affluism, um, affluent, 
having a lot of money. Um, it talks about the hookup culture. It talks about um, uh, transgender. So there's a lot in that book that would be a great resource to give to parents. Another one, I think it's Gen Z by James Emery White. And uh, he has some stuff in there that helps to understand kind of what the current world is going through, the current world is facing. Um, and then finally, I'd say this, uh, The Collapse of Parenting is another fantastic book. It's written by a guy I'll be quoting a lot in my next workshop on why gender matters, uh, Leonard Sachs. He is, I'm not, I don't know this, he doesn't, he doesn't state in there that he is a faith-based or a Christian expert in the industry. He is more of a counselor and a psychologist coming in and writing from that perspective. But The Collapse of Parenting is a phenomenal book, and it really helps you understand uh, the inversion uh, that's taken place over the last 20 years of parents really being the leader to parents really abdicating to the schools and others to just raise their kids. Right. So a couple of great resources. That's really good.